Welcome to Jack Chat, presented by the Journal of Athletic Training, the official journal of the National Athletic Trainers Association. I'm Dr. Kara Radzak, an assistant professor at the School of Integrated Health Sciences at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and your host for today. The purpose of today's event is to provide an open forum for athletic trainers and all other healthcare professionals to ask questions and discuss the recently published Ankle Sprains and Instabilities Special Issue from the Journal of Athletic Training. Today, I'm joined by the special edition co-editors, Dr. Jay Hurdle, the Joe Geek Professor of Sports Medicine at the University of Virginia, and Dr. Tom Kaminsky, the Director of Athletic Training Education at the University of Delaware. I'm also very pleased to be joined by Dr. Philip Gribble, the Chair of the Department of Athletic Training and Clinical Nutrition at the University of Kentucky. Dr. Gribble is also an associate editor with JAT and contributed greatly to this special issue. In order to make Jack Chat work as smoothly as possible, we ask that you submit questions in the Facebook Live comment section or as a tweet at JAT underscore NATA using the hashtag Jack Chat, all one word. At this point, I would like to introduce Drs. Hurdle, Kaminsky, and Gribble. Thank you all for taking your time to speak with me today. Thanks for having us. You bet. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. So my first question is for Jay and Tom. And where did you come up with the name of the editorial? These are the sprains of our lives. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so this is actually the second special issue on um, ankle sprains and ankle instability that the journal (laughs) training did. Um, so Tom and I um, co-guest edited uh, an issue back in 2002. And in there, the uh, the lead editorial was called As the Ankle Turns. So uh, we kind of wanted to keep with the soap opera theme and draw <laughs> a, uh, a connection between the two, because, you know, part of it is that um, I think a lot of athletic trainers and other sports medicine professionals feel like, well, haven't we heard this story before? And that's, you know, kind of like the soap opera, like, you know, you've seen it before, but, you know, they always have to come up with the, uh, the, the new twist and the, the, you know, put it into the context of the modern day. So that's kind of what we were, we're shooting for. I would just add, it's, it's an opportunity for Dr. Hurdle's uh, wry sense of humor to come forth as well. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. When you guys were curating the special edition, um, what were your goals? What did you want to be included in the special issue? Well, it, it's it's interesting is that, you know, I have a copy here of, of our issue from 2002. And, you know, I think at that time, Jay and I had gotten together uh, probably at a bar somewhere and we wrote on a napkin uh, those individuals that we wanted to invite and kind of the topics that we, we chose back then. Um, and it's interesting to see, you know, how we've come in, in 17 years since that first special issue in 2002 to where we're at today. And I think that, you know, I, as, as Jay and I were discussing how we could move the, the, 
the 2019 version forward, I thought, you know, it was important for us to include some of the, you know, the younger researchers that are really on the cutting edge of doing some pretty cool stuff in the area of, of ankle sprain management and ankle instability. But at the same time, you know, we needed to just have some foundational material in there as well. And I think that Jay's lead article about, you know, the paradigm where we started in 02 and where we're at today in, in 2019, I thought was, was a very important part of, of the 2019 special issue. Jay, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that there, there's so much good original research being done in this area that we really wanted to, to kind of provide a, a compendium of that and kind of a, a state of the, the clinical science for 2019 where, um, ankle sprains and ankle instability research sits and, um, you know, Philip and um, Eric Wickstrom and Pat McKean and, and Ty Hopkins were all um, kind of involved in the, um, the formulation of the, uh, um, the articles that we invited. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I noticed was that there's a lot of these current concept articles and each one of you actually authored one yourselves. Um, what are the key takeaways from the current concept article that you each author? Let's talk with, uh, have you start, Tom? Well, you know, ours, our theme was on prevention of, of ankle sprains. And, you know, as one of the primary domains of athletic training, I think that, uh, you know, prevention of ankle sprains is, is first and foremost in our minds. And uh, it was interesting to, to just kind of go back and look at the historical perspective of, of ankle sprain prevention through the years. And, you know, traditionally, it's, it's been around prophylactic taping and prophylactic bracing. Mm-hmm. And, and those hold true today. I mean, there's a lot of good evidence that supports that not only to prevent first-time ankle sprains, but the prevention of, of additional ankle sprains in those that have had uh, ankle sprains is, is very important through the use of, you know, ankle uh, strapping, ankle taping, ankle bracing. So, um, you know, I, I thought that 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 was that was a key component of it. And the other thing I think that you know Jay and and Philip can attest to is that when we set out for these special issues or we we set out for having a a position statement put forth, the ultimate user end user is the, is the clinician. And so I think that these current concepts really speak to the clinician. And this issue is really just chock full of, of good information that clinicians can go and start using today. Thank you. We actually have a um, question from the audience that relates to what you were talking about, Tom. And the question is neuromuscular training programs have been recommended for primary and secondary prevention of knee injury. Are there any consistent things that can help with primary and secondary prevention of ankle sprains? Yeah, and I think that, you know, Patrick McKeon's work and certainly Jay's work and Philip's work in this area really can attest to the fact that those those types of neuromuscular training programs in the ankle are are quite beneficial. And uh, I think that every clinician needs to have that in their toolbox, not only from an from an ankle sprain prevention standpoint, but certainly from an ankle injury management standpoint, rehabilitation standpoint as well. And I'll, I'll let Philip and, and Jay chime in as well. Yeah, I, I, it's become the cornerstone of 
of, of the expansion of what we do for treatment and rehabilitation for ankle sprains. And that's for the acute uh, sprain patient, uh, making sure that as we approach the end stage return to play, uh, that there's neuromuscular rehabilitation really focused on a dynamic balance progression. Um, but what I think um, we often lose sight of is that there needs to be a maintenance phase as well, because we see so many ankle sprain patients, unfortunately, fall into a path of chronicity and develop chronic ankle instability. Um, and so that's uh, where we, we continue to evaluate their uh, ongoing deficiencies and, and still introduce uh, the same kinds of protocols um, to focus on neuromuscular uh, deficiencies, dynamic balance, progressions. Yeah, I, I would just echo that, that, you know, end stage, ankle sprain rehabilitation should look a lot like prevention programs for um, ankle and, and knee injuries that um, focusing on dynamic balance and plyometrics and, um, you know, high velocity change of direction movements. And Jay, your current concept article was kind of discussing this updated model of chronic ankle instability. And you give a really nice, really in-depth view on that spectrum of chronic ankle instability, copers. Where do you feel like this neuromuscular rehabilitation or all of this aspect of trying to do the return to play rehabilitation, is there possibility of moving somebody from a chronic ankle instability end of the spectrum into a coper? And how do you think we can do that? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that there, there definitely is the ability to move somebody out of the, the chronic ankle instability um, classification. And I think, you know, if you look at it, the, those classifications are largely based on uh, a combination of their ankle sprain history, which you can't do anything about that because it's happened, but then also on their self-reported function um, symptoms and their um, uh, more objective um, function as well. And those are things that that you can change. And I think that you know we've seen from a number of rehabilitation studies have been able to you know in a short amount of time, you know, four weeks or so of supervised rehabilitation, move people from, at the beginning, they qualified as chronic ankle instability, but by the end of the four-week intervention, they would no longer have qualified um, to have started that study. Now, the big issue is, you know, how do you keep people there um, and, and um, you know, continue to um, uh, maintain their function? And I think that's also a big issue that we see with return to play after acute sprain as well is that um, we know that individuals who perform supervised rehabilitation for at least six weeks after their initial ankle sprain do much better than people who don't. The problem is not a lot of athletes actually do rehabilitation for six weeks after initial sprain because they are able to get their function up to a level where they can return to sport. And uh, I, I think that's a, a big area that we have to continue to um, to look at how do we get that implementation um, of the interventions to continue for a longer period of time. So another audience question is specifically asking about in the secondary school setting. Um, they want to know how would you recommend advocating for budget to support some external ankle supports? 
Well, uh, go ahead. Well, go, ahead. Go, go ahead, Philip. I, I was just going to chime in. You know, Jay and uh, one of his former students, uh, Lauren Kramer, actually had a really nice paper a few years back about the uh, uh, the, the cost benefit of ankle bracing and taping. And I think that, you know, in the long run, if, if schools are willing to put out the, the money for ankle bracing, it's going to benefit them in the long run because it's going to prevent ankle sprains from occurring. And I think that, you know, coaches, administrators uh, who control budget lines need to understand that. And I think, you know, ankle bracing should be become part of the equipment process. And so I would I would strongly advocate for that in the secondary school setting. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's, there's great work out of the University of Wisconsin um, that's shown that repeatedly. Um, more, more recently that, um, you know, Tim McGuine was the leader in, in that work to show across the state, incorporating a lot of secondary schools, multiple sports, um, that, that prophylactic bracing uh, and taping was effective at reducing ankle sprain rates. Equally, um, neuromuscular prevention programs, as we've already touched on, were effective. Mm -hmm. um, the, the challenge for an athletic trainer um, <clears throat> now, and it's convincing uh, the administrations that, that holds the purse strings to invest the, the money, and then convincing uh, the other stakeholders, the, the coaches, the players, the parents, for the time resource, especially on the um, prevention program side. Tim uh, did a follow-up to some of his work where he went back to some of those schools and, and showed the evidence uh, to the stakeholders and then asked, you know, based on the success rates, uh, would you now be willing to invest continuation of resources and time to reduce the, the injury rates? And there was a very alarmingly high than expected of people that said, well, no, I, I wouldn't be willing to do it, even though you're showing me that it works. So um, it's, it's, We've come a long way in the last 10 years. We, there's more people realizing the importance of this, but we still have um, a lot more ground to cover to, um, to get those resources and time devoted. But, uh, um, I think there's, that might trigger some people to think about if you don't have the, the financial resources, where if your choice is uh, a bracing prevention uh, approach, um, then go after the, the time investment of a neuromuscular prevention program that can be incorporated into um, the, the warm-up period uh, or the off-season conditioning period where you're maybe not really taking up extra time, but you're still getting a lot of benefit. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Actually, that leads us to a great follow-up question um, from the audience of what are basic exercises or strategies that can be given to an athlete for at-home to reduce the risk of repetitive ankle sprains. Yeah, I think uh, going back to the, the balance progression, um, simply standing on one foot, progressing to having your eyes closed. If you're at home, you can just stand on a pillow or a, a couch cushion to incorporate a more challenging surface. Um, uh, additional recommendations that have come out of a lot of the work that, that are in the special issue and the authors have been suggested um, a series of hopping activities, um, just hopping front to back, side to side, um, and then hopping for targets, hopping a little bit farther out of their comfort zone. Um, there's also uh, the 
dynamic balance tests such as the star excursion balance test that have been very effective and that just requires some floor space on a strip of tape um, standing on one foot reaching with the other foot as far as you can and returning to your starting point these are really easy low cost um, exercises that, that can be done anywhere yeah if i could just jump in one, one thing that, that i like to um, tell people to do is a home exercise too for single limb balance is to do that while you brush your teeth. Um, mm -hmm. So you kind of build in your own perturbation by um, you know moving your arm back and forth or moving your head back and forth um, with that. And um, as long as you don't have a lot of sharp edges in your, your bathroom, you're pretty good with that one. And I, I would just add too, you know, I think that it's important from an ownership perspective that, you know, the student athletes, they buy into this and then, you know, they buy into it in the clinical setting, and then this is some ownership that they can have when, they, when they're away from, from the clinical setting at home, and they can, they can do that because it's so important to their performance that they, you know, they continue this process. So, again, it's changing mindset. You know, as Philip said, I mean, you know, not everybody's buying into this, and we've, we've got we've to create this mindset. Student athletes, I think as clinicians, we bought into it, but I think the student athletes need to get get that mindset as well. Tom, you bring up a great point with changing mindset. One of our audience questions is, what do you think is the greatest misconception about ankle sprains and how do we overcome it? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's a quote, I think, in Prentice's textbook uh, a few years ago that uh, talking about ankle sprains and uh, you know, it, it, it mentioned the fact that, you know, most ankle sprains get better and, you know, they're not given, I don't think, as much attention as the ACL injuries or concussions. But I think there's a little bit of misnomer with that, you know, because we've, we've seen through the years and those of us who've been researching ankle instability know that a large percentage of those who've had initial ankle sprain go on to develop instability. And so, again, I, I think that from the outset, we need to really, you know, focus that this is not just a simple ankle sprain and it's going to get better, that, you know, people can have long-term complications. And, in fact, Tricia, Tricia Turner had written an editorial in my journal, Athletic Training Sports Healthcare, that, you know, an ankle sprain can lead to cancer. And the point she was trying to make was that, you know, these ankle sprains can lead to long-term disability as an outcome later in life. And, you know, whereas people aren't active anymore and it, and it really in, uh, uh, infiltrates, if you will, their, their lifestyle and what they can do. So that would be my suggestion is, you know, we just can't treat these as such a simple entity. There's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. I, I think just to, to follow up on that, that, um, Tricia Turner has a, an article in the special issue about, um, I believe the title is lack of, um, uh, I'm going to get the title wrong. Um, basically it talks about how among college students, over half of college students who suffered an ankle sprain didn't seek any medical or healthcare professional, um, in the treatment of that. And I think that just gets to that, that mindset issue of, you know, it's just an ankle sprain, mm -hmm. um, and um, I think that's something that we have to work not just on public perception on, but I think also within the healthcare um, professions as well. Mm -hmm. So we've got three amazing researchers 
in this uh, chat chat today. And somebody wants to know, how did you decide to focus your career on investigating ankle sprains and chronic ankle instability? Um, well, when I was deciding to um, leave a, a clinical position um, and, and go back to school because I, I wanted to take an academic path, I uh, called my, uh, one of my mentors um, from my undergrad and my master's, uh, Kevin Guskowitz, and said, where, where should I go? And he said, go uh, to, to Penn State and study with this guy, Jay Hurdle. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, Kevin's a pretty bright guy. Um, and then I got there and Jay said, you're going to study ankles. And I said, okay. And Jay said, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's served me pretty well. Yeah, Jay and I got our start together. Jay was actually a master's student when I was working on my PhD at the University of Virginia. And that's kind of our first foray into the ankle world. I was doing a lot of work with uh, isokinetics, uh, ankle strength. Uh, my colleague, uh, Brent Arnold, was a classmate there as well. And, uh, you know, that's where I got my early start. Dave Perrin was our mentor, and he kind of... Uh, pushed us along in that pathway. And, you know, and Jay and I got together in 02 to actually earlier than 02, the, the special issue came out in 02, but we probably started this in probably 99, 2000 to, to bring the 2002 special edition to light. So yeah, I've been doing a long time. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I, I don't have one of those good stories, um, you know, about a, a personal connection. I've, I've actually never sprained either of my ankles. So uh, <laughs> some uh, epiphany from, from that, but, you know, I think from the, the clinical side of, of athletic training, you know, ankle sprains are, you know, the most common large joint injury that we see. And, you know, surprisingly, they don't all do that well. So, uh, you know, once you got started with it, um, there's, there's still work to be done. Got the whole research family tree on this chat chat. So what have you guys seen um, during your careers that has been meaningful change in both the research and treatment of ankle sprains? So I, I think the, the biggest thing that, that I've seen um, you know, change over the past couple of decades is the idea of proprioception and neuromuscular control deficits been present for a long time, but, you know, it was really a black box. Um, you know, when you look back into the, um, you know, the late eighties and, and the nineties, it was like proprioception and neuromuscular control were like this concept. But I think what, what we really have now is a much better understanding of what's actually happening from a neurophysiological perspective. And that you know, there's different levels of, of control within the neuromuscular system. Um, that, that are all contributing to this. And, you know, one of the things I thought was pretty um, neat in, in the special issue is that, you know, there were a pair of articles that, um, original research articles that were basically looking at motor cortex activity as it relates to um, chronic ankle instability. And that's certainly something that in 2002, nobody was thinking about it at all. Um, but, you know, when you break down the neuromuscular system and you kind of realize that, um, you know, you've got your cortex level control, your um, spinal level control, and, and then um, you know, your, your local um, level of control in the periphery. And then um, there's actually dysfunction across that whole spectrum. Yeah, I was going to 
say something similar to that. I've, I've been really fascinated and, and really excited about that avenue of, of what we're learning about the deficiency um, and the work that, that Jade has brought up, uh, the, this, the current issue with some of the work by you know, Adam Rosen and, and Chris Burkle and uh, Ty Hopkins group out of BYU. Um, mm-hmm. And we've, we've tried, been trying to do some of the same things over the last uh, decade uh, and learning just, wow, the, an, an injury way far away down at the ankle is creating some things we never thought about as a clinician. I certainly, when I was practicing, never thought about um, the consideration of how the central nervous system is interacting with this. And what we now know a decade later is um, those um, unforeseen and, and really um, uh, under-addressed issues are likely contributing to the, the pattern of um, repetitive injury, repetitive giving way, um, adaptation of a, of a movement pattern that ultimately creates people that don't want to move anymore. They don't want to play their sport anymore when they, when they get into their, their middle eight years. Uh, we have a project that um, is just up and running here that's funded by the department of defense. And we're, we're trying to look at uh, one kind of rehabilitation protocol that, that starts to address some of those deficiencies, sort of a standard of care that doesn't. And, you know, what I, what I envision, what I hope, what I, I think would be kind of cool is maybe a decade from now clinicians are still doing some of the same rehab for an ankle sprain, um, some foundation work, but now they're doing some things that are bringing simultaneously. And I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah. I couldn't help but to uh, look back in the 2002 issue and Jay and I actually invited uh, one of the pioneers in the area of ankle instability research. And that was Hans Tropp who wrote a commentary for us. Uh, it was titled Functional Ankle Instability Revisited. And he, along with Dr. Freeman in 1965, these guys were kind of the original pioneers who started to look at ankle instability. I don't know if either one is still alive today, but uh, it's, it's just kind of an interesting perspective and historical perspective to kind of look back at where we were and where we're at today. And I think as both Philip and, and Jay have, have mentioned is that we still have a long way to go. You know, I think what we know certainly from a neuromuscular standpoint is, is it, it has advanced uh, tremendously over the last 20 years, but there's still a lot left to go. And I think that, you know, as Philip touched on, you know, in 10 years from now, what will we be doing from a clinical rehab perspective that that's going to impact? And I think that the, the, the newer generation of researchers is really quite impressive in this area of, of ankle instability and ankle sprain research, which is exciting for us. <clears throat> I think another element that I've been excited to see about and is really, I think, summarized collectively the concept papers from the, the JAT issue. Um, and this spans across the papers uh, from Hunt, uh, Pat McKean, Luke Donovan, um, some of the work that, that Tom and Alan Needle and, and Eamon did. Um, and that is that we, we need to be thinking about our, our treatment approaches um, that, that starts acutely, but also starts even before that on the prevention side, and then continues on as we try to uh, mitigate the the chance of turning into a chronic ankle instability patient. All, all those authors I just mentioned have concept papers that I think cover this spectrum. And so I think we're arriving now what the clinician needs to, to take away is, um, is, is rehab doesn't just stop once they return to participation. Um, this concept of a booster shot 
is becoming more and more um, uh, uh, popular to think about so that your athlete, your, your patient, even though he or she may have started to resume their activity, um, bring it back in, reevaluate periodically. What are the deficiencies that we may have thought had um, had dispersed, but maybe actually come back? Um, and do they need a booster shot of some of the um, interventions that we had done previously um, that we thought they had overcome? Um, and I think that's a new concept that most clinicians, I certainly didn't practice that way, but I think now we need to get that message out that an ankle sprain, very simple injury, um, very easy to return rapidly, but it's really a more of a longer spectrum of, of care than we um, used to used to think about. That's a great summary kind of of your current concept article of that evaluation at the different standpoints of the spectrum. So one of the nice things about this chat chat format is that it's very interactive. And we had a post on the feed that it's not really a question, but an interesting comment that I'd like to have all of you, if you are willing to come to address. The comment was secondary school administrators are largely reactive when it comes to injuries. Their focus lies in profit and wins when it comes to athletics. Rarely are these schools willing to be pro active in the prevention of what may not occur or doesn't occur often enough to enter their budget. It's sad, but true. Would y'all like to comment on this? Yeah, I'll start. You know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at secondary school uh, sports participation, um, to me, the, the number one issue there is making opportunities available for secondary school students. And the notion of player availability um, as it relates to being able to participate in practice and games because they're healthy, um, it really should be the number one um, priority. And um, yeah, I mean, everybody wants their best players to be able to play and to not get hurt. But you know, when you look at injury um, prevention, you don't get to pick which injuries you prevent, which ones. You don't, but ultimately, if you can show that, you know, at a team level or, or at a school level that you are preventing injuries, um, it's not just that you're preventing injuries, it's that you're actually increasing participation uh, by making players available for their practices and game. So that's just the way that I would um, look at it as not preventing things that don't happen, but actually um, keeping the players that are on the roster um, available. Mm, that's a good point. <clears throat> so to kind of wrap it up, I've got one last question for y'all. Other than the special issue, which the um, the viewer who asked this question did make a comment that it was great, the special issue was, they want to know what are other resources that you would recommend for clinicians or for patients regarding ankle sprains and ankle instability? I, I would recommend... Um, checking out uh, the position statements uh, that the International Ankle Consortium has put put forth, all three of us, as well as um, I think about 10 other folks internationally um, have been involved in these, these position statements. Um, and uh, JT was involved in, uh, in, in co-publishing the first, um, along with uh, JOSPT and, and, and British Journal of Sports Medicine. And then British Journal of Sports Medicine has also helped publish some of the more recent ones as well. Um, I think the most recent uh, position statement we we published, our group published, 
um, led by by Eamon Delahunt, and it's um, abbreviated the roast statement. Um, it, it really, I think, it becomes the most clinically relevant uh, of the three, um, and it really takes clinicians through what is the the evidence that that supports um, assessing a patient and what their needs are through through the rehabilitation spectrum. Um, and, and we really tried to make that um, international effort uh, make it a more clinically relevant um, resource. Great. Yeah, I would, I would second what Philip has said. I, in fact, I'm printing it out right now, but, you know, our listeners can go and they can get this at the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And it's an infographic that's put out by the British Journal of Sports Medicine on the roast guidelines that Philip talks about. And it, 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 it really simplifies what every clinician should be doing from the standpoint of initial assessment. It goes over the various areas that we as a collective body, the, the consortium talks about, are important that clinicians do right away in the attempt of preventing the ankle instability from occurring later on. And, and this is cutting edge. And this is, I think every clinician should have this simple infographic in their, in their clinical setting and utilizing it on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's very current and very relevant. Yeah, I, I would just also encourage people to take a look at the, the NATA position statement on uh, prevention and management of um, ankle sprains, and that was uh, lead authored by by Tom uh, Kaminsky. Um, it's about five years old now, but uh, it's still uh, very relevant. And uh, I think if anything, some of the things that were recommended in there, now there's more evidence um, to support it um, than, than what was originally there. But uh, I think there's about 36 recommendations in there that, that should help um, people in their clinical practice. Thank, thanks for that plug, Jay. You were co-editor as well, or co-author on that paper as well. Is there any plans for an update on that position statement anytime soon? Uh, I guess that's up to the pronouncements committee of the NATA to, to, to give us the guidance on that. But, you know, the, the fortunate thing for, you know, the ankle sprains, as Jay said, that that's, that information is still pretty relevant, even though it's five years out. Uh, unlike concussions, you know, that stuff is changing every day. So, mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Um, we'll be sure to try to send out any links to the resources that y'all talked about to our viewers. And just to let any, everybody know that if you didn't get a chance to listen to the whole chat chat, or if you know somebody who would be interested and they didn't get a chance to watch, we will have this posted through JAT's social media in a podcast format as well. Thank you, Dr. Gribble, Dr. Hurdle, and Dr. Kaminsky for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. 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 Thanks.